0: Welcome to the Mixmasters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merrick Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for today's episode is Emily Pierce, a system technician and jack-of-all-trades who works for Schubert Systems Group in the Los Angeles area. Emily is relatively new to the live sound industry, but she's already making a name for herself and has worked with groups like Cypress Hill and for legendary venues including Hollywood's The Whiskey A Go-Go. You can follow Emily online at Instagram at E-E-E-E-E-M-M-I-L-Y. That's six E's, two M's, and an I-L-Y. Or click on the link from today's episode show notes and you'll find her that way. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you find this podcast informative, and please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast for future updates. Hi, and welcome to Mixmasters Masters Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and I'm joined today by Emily Pierce, who is joining us by way of FaceTime from Los Angeles area, correct, Emily? Yes. Awesome. It is great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining Um, I know that we're all enjoying a little bit of unplanned or unwanted vacation right now. So wanted to take advantage and uh, check in with you and see how things are going and sort of introduce our listeners um, to you and what you do and what you're up to and talk a little bit about mixing philosophies, system teching, and all that fun stuff.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) Cool. Well, let's go ahead and get started here. So Emily, I know you're not originally from the Los Angeles area, but you've been in Los Angeles for a while. Uh, I believe you went to uh, school for recording and some film work. What really got you interested in the live production business? Were you a musician prior? What? How did you? What drew you to this industry?
1: Um, Well, I knew ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be involved in music somehow. I did band and all that stuff growing up and uh, did a year of music education uh, school back in Michigan where I'm from, um, but then kind of fell into, I really like going to concerts and live events and stuff. So it was like, I want to be like part of that um, production. It seemed like engineering was definitely a cool way to kind of be part of that whole scene um, for sure. And then thought, why not move to one of the biggest meccas for that, which is Los Angeles. So yeah, went to school for a um, recording major and ended up getting hired at an internship before I graduated, and the rest was history.
0: Oh, that's incredible. So when you were going to concerts at a younger age, were you sort of like I was and you would you'd spend more time looking at the consoles and the gear than you did the stage, or were you able to balance it a little bit better than I did?
1: Um, I honestly, when I back in Michigan, when I was still going to shows, I didn't really even know a lot about engineering or what it really was. To be completely honest, um, definitely was interested in kind of some of the setups that they had going on, and like I could still even then tell a difference between who maybe had people helping them out as far as sound or who had better equipment, um, because you can tell the difference. At least I could. Um, but yeah, I think I probably balanced it between being way up in the front, trying to, trying to get in the pit and being interested in some of the technical stuff. So, yeah,
0: it's all about balance. I, I leaned more towards, uh, standing right next to the soundboard and trying to steal as much ideas and, uh, philosophies from people as I could. Yeah. Funny that that I carries I, on I to this. That
1: more <laughs> now, <but. laughs>
0: yeah. It's funny. Once you get into the business, you, you don't really enjoy concerts quite the same as, uh, mm-hmm. you did before you, you knew what you know now. Yeah. All right, so you were interested in engineering and and you moved, made the move to Los Angeles. You graduated, uh, I think near the top of your class uh with with your recording degree. Um mm-hmm. what did you do from there? How did how did things play out? Where did you end up going? And I know you mentioned the internship. Um you know, how did how did things play out after you were done with school then?
1: Um well, it was kind of the year that I graduated, I had gotten the intern uh, internship actually at My current job, um, I was only supposed to be there for about three months, just kind of learning what they're doing, not necessarily going out on a ton of stuff. Um, So after I graduated, it was a pretty smooth transition. I ended up being able to stay there for until now. Um, But I had also accepted other side gigs at a theater in Glendale and then the Whiskey, the Satellite, a bunch of different little clubs in the area. Um, And I guess prior to that, I had been volunteering at a venue, um, in the San Fernando Valley for a little while just to get a feel for what it would actually be like on the job and making connections, which is actually how I got hired at the whiskey because I had that connection from before. Um, and they saw how I worked even when I wasn't getting paid for it. So, um, yeah, just kind of, kind of happened after building up a network of, of some good people. So,
0: yeah, that is a Um, really excellent point. I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of people uh, that are just getting started or even people that have been in the business for a while, they tend to think that it's more about, you know, like what I know and that I'm super awesome at uh, a proficient, you know, or I'm proficient at something. Um, But it's really a blend of being in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people and then knowing what you're doing. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely true, because to be fair, like I've barely been doing this for I've been doing this for like almost only like a couple years. So for me, it was just, I was at the right place at the right time. Um, I could show that I was working really hard and able to learn and fit into a crew, which is definitely important. Um, You can't always be the person who's telling everybody what to do. Sometimes you have to be the person that's just the team player. So I think that's definitely really important and you'll, you'll learn as you go. I think.
0: Yeah. Definitely a consistent theme that I'm hearing as I talk to uh, people in this business. It's it's keep your head down, uh, you know, work hard, and things will good things will happen. You know, if you if you have the proper work ethic and uh, personality for it. So that's that's really cool.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: So it's awesome that you're doing stuff with whiskey. Um, I believe I saw that you were a monitor engineer for the whiskey, and I also had to chuckle internally a little bit because you said, "Oh yeah, I've been working at you know." the whiskey and small clubs and blah, blah, blah. And it's, to me, the whiskey is, you know, a a mecca. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do at the whiskey? What your experience has been there? Some of the, you know, some of your philosophies on mixing monitors for, you know, all sorts of crazy acts that come through there.
1: Yeah. So I, um, at the whiskey I had, I only worked there for a little while. I'm still kind of on their payroll a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I think that a lot of some of the clubs that are on the strip um, have changed a lot, I feel like, than what they used to be. It's definitely a different environment, I think. Um, a lot of those places are guys who are back from tour and they need something to do a little bit. Um, I know that there are a lot of big acts that come through there. I, unfortunately, haven't gotten to work with like a ton of the stuff. I've done uh, some of their Ultimate Jam night. Um, things which are pretty cool and I I got to mix monitors for trapped while I was there so you do have some cool opportunities Um, for me I think it was good too because some of their equipment is not always the greatest because they are kind of older clubs so you kind of uh, sharpen your troubleshooting skills there a little bit and kind of work with what you have yeah so
0: I'm guessing you're uh, proficient with a soldering iron and can uh, rewire (laughs) NL4s you know on the fly or in your sleep or whatever
1: Uh, I haven't had a chance to work on their equipment, but I mean, I have, I definitely have the ability to, to do some of that stuff. So,
0: yeah, that's awesome. Um, you also mentioned, uh, offline that you, uh, had a chance to, to help out with Cypress Hill and, um, some other, uh, some other uh, pretty well-known acts. How do you approach uh, a gig like that? Do you, is you sort of thrown into the fire and you just have to make the most of it? Or what's what do you do? Uh, talk us through some of those um, engagements and, and how those go and how you approach something like that.
1: Yeah, so um, a lot of those clients that we have at Schubert are guys that we kind of know them a little bit in advance and and stuff like that. But, uh for Cypress, I got to do some, some front of house teching for my boss, who's been a longtime engineer for them, which is really cool because a lot of the guys that work um, above me are pretty old school. Like, we're using uh, Avid Profiles. He's not really using the screen a whole lot, like, looking at the screen a lot. It's just kind of mixing. He doesn't really even do um, a ton of, like, a sound check, really at all. He kind of does a line check of everything wow. and he mixes on the fly. Um, oh. it's, it's pretty cool to watch cause there's a lot of people who put hours and hours of prep into certain stuff and like, he'll get his show file down, but it's mostly for him just kind of a line check before they start. And then he mixes as he goes and it sounds great. So,
0: uh, that's awesome. The people that have that gift, you know, that they can take an input list, build their show file and mm-hmm. run and gun, uh, I've been in those scenarios, but it's never very yeah. fun as you probably know as well. A little bit yep. of anxiety with those. Yeah. So when you're, uh, when you're front of house tacking, uh, for somebody like that, what are, what are they looking at you to assist with and you know, what, where's your, what are you watching during the show and what are you, or during setup and you know, what, what are you responsible for in that position?
1: Um, so for, it kind of depends on the engineer and what they want and what their rig is for sure. Um, since his setup was pretty simple, we had used, um, the PA from the venue, which was the Novo downtown. We had brought in some of our DNB, uh, J subs for that, um, to, yeah, to kind of beef it up. So I kind of set, set all that stuff up, run the snake, um, make sure everything is working for him and set up so he can just do his line check and that's it. So he's pretty simple, but I mean, other engineers that, need a waves rig and a server and all that kind of stuff is going to be way different than using sure. an Avid console versus a Digico console and stuff like that. So yeah. he's pretty simple low maintenance. He didn't even want me to really time align anything. He's like, no, I'll, I'll do it. And some people want you to tune it before. So it just, it depends, I
0: think. Wow. Uh, you're, my mind is just going like a thousand miles an hour right now with lots of questions. So bear with me. I might jump around here a little bit. So you said uh, doing system tuning. So um, when you're doing system tuning, I'm assuming you're doing that with like a smart uh, rig, or what? How how do you go about uh, tuning? Like at a a typical show, we don't have to pick one in particular. Or if you want to, you know, it's totally cool. Yeah.
1: So I haven't gotten to do a ton of front of house tuning. in terms of like for some of the bigger stuff that we've done, the, the couple times that I've done it, we use um, Lake Processing. Oh yeah, uh, which is pretty straightforward. Um, I haven't. I, I have some training with Smart, but I haven't really gotten to use some of that knowledge um, with those rigs. Um, but a lot of tuning, tuning, and time aligning kind of by ear. Like I just use a, a click track to time align like front fills and stuff like that. Oh, sure. And then yeah, we use. Um, a lake processing system in our drives. Uh, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of old school guys too, that I've learned from one of, one of my coworkers, he'll tune podium mics just by making whale sounds essentially (laughs) and using the lake system to cut things out that he doesn't like, um, for sure. So
0: yeah, the whale sounds yep <laughs> I have this really annoying whistle that I do to to find um feedback when I'm ringing out you know something and and uh mm-hmm. it's it lands right at like two point four kilohertz, so yeah it's pretty useful for that really awful you know ice pick feedback frequency, but that's about the only thing it's good for
1: <laughs> yeah
0: I'm gonna try yeah. whale and, sounds
1: yeah and then monitors are a whole other whole other beast on that end, but yeah, front of house is uh definitely a lot of lake stuff,
0: yeah cool um I know you you were involved with um uh sound girls correct or girls girls do yeah yep yep um and I saw that you were doing something with Digico uh consoles and doing some education are you what what's your console of choice these days are you a digico person are you a Midas uh avid I heard you talk about that
1: uh yeah if, if I had if I had to pick one console I would say the sd12 Mostly because of the hardware side of it, because I like having two screens, Um and it sounds stupid, but the angle of the screen on it, since I'm short, I'm only 5'3", oh, and God. sometimes when you're outside on either a 10 or a 9, the screen, you can't see anything on it because you have to either be really tall or hope that there's no glare yeah. on it at all, because that's just, it's kind of annoying, but oh, yeah. I really like the 12 um the opticore systems are great um yeah
0: cool what Definitely uh Digico. how did you get uh did you learn digital uh consoles through schubert or how did you sort of become comfortable with those there to me, I haven't worked a lot on the Digico s d s um at all, so they're you know other than doing like the emulator that they have for your laptop but mm-hmm. um you know how did you go about picking that up and do you have any sort of basic philosophies or approaches towards you know, doing things on that platform? Like when you're talking, when you were doing your uh, education, what were some of the the key things that you pointed out to people and, and, you know, hope that they take away?
1: So I was able to learn a lot of what I know from the people around me at Schubert. Uh, Definitely spoiled in that aspect because I have access to all the fancy toys and consoles and stuff, so I got to learn on them, Um, teching on them, before you mix on it, is actually really helpful, I think, because you know all the ins and outs. You know why something may not be working correctly. Um, I was able to, we, we had Digico come in and do some advanced applications training with us, which was really useful in, in terms of learning snapshots, which I'm still not a fan of. They make me feel uneasy. I don't really like snapshots a whole lot, uh, which is something that I need to probably brush up on a little bit. But um, I would say with any digital it is a computer um the digico systems run off of windows so that's why i like their file conversion software and everything is based off of windows so you kind of have to know a little bit about file hier- hierarchy and how to get into the windows side and maybe do um any of the uh The uh, updates, sorry. Oh, yeah. For some reason, forgetting the word. Yeah. to do any of the updates and stuff like that, you have to get into the file hierarchy or run any tests or calibration for the screen. Cool. Um, So, yeah, thinking of it as a computer can kind of help a
0: little bit. Do you find yourself having to do any sort of networking uh, support when you're out on gigs or back at the shop, Um, you know, with it being everything is networked these days? There's Dante and then, you know, normal THCP or DHCP, yeah. sorry, and uh, you know, general networking. Do you find yourself having to do that at all, or um, you know, working in Dante? Definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, there's a whole network system for even using wave servers or stuff like uh, even like a lot of our amp racks like D and B stuff uh, has to have networking. So definitely having a solid foundation of of knowing what that's all about. You for for Digico especially, you should probably know know some basics of networking because i'm definitely not a it person but you kind of have to be now um that's just kind of the way it goes even with wireless that's how it is
0: yeah it's uh the last tour i did with stitched apart. we had two uh s- separate wireless networks that were uh joined together you know via vlan and uh i'm fairly technical um but i won't i won't lie i was nervous sometimes you know if if one of the access points didn't come up uh you know I hear your uh, crew it, in the background there.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my dogs are barking. It's all good. Um, yeah. So it, it can get tough, especially like for me. I, I definitely like um, Shure's wireless stuff. I feel the most comfortable using that just because their wireless workbench system is so easy to use and to navigate. You can almost throw and go. You don't necessarily need to be like a crazy RF tech to navigate. Um, and especially with even, that's what I tell a lot of people who, who are like even guitar techs or using any type of wireless and like just route it together, like even linking them together and attaching your computer and you don't even necessarily have to have any crazy other network system. Like being, being able to network those and coordinate your frequencies via that network makes things 10 times easier in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Do you find yourself having to do some RF coordination uh, from gig to gig? And what's your experience been with that if if you are doing that type of stuff?
1: Yeah, so um, being primarily more of a, a monitor person, it's definitely the responsibility usually to be also the RF tech at the same time. So there's been quite a few gigs where I've had to have, I don't know how many stereo ear mixes out on stage, plus all the wireless mics. So knowing how to get in there and get your frequencies Making sure you're not getting stepped on is definitely important. Bringing a lot of batteries so you can leave things on to not get stepped on um, is important. Uh, The past couple of years, I've done the Roots Grammy Jam um, here in Los Angeles, and they require a lot of uh, RF. We do about, I think there's about 40 packs that we have on stage and eight wireless microphones, so we have like a big. Tall guy, like twenty-two space rack that we've got, and I get to coordinate all of that and deal with all that wireless, wrangle all the packs. So you got to learn and make sure you can uh, handle all of that all at once.
0: Well, the good thing is Los Angeles, you know, is it doesn't have a whole lot of other interfering RF. So uh, <laughs> I, that's sarcasm oh, yeah. there. <laughs> Oh, not at all. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, I really hate talking about my stuff, but uh, when we were on tour last fall with Steel Panther, the worst city I ran into for wireless was Cleveland. Uh wow. Yeah, they had a lot of stuff. The venue that we were at, they had a lot of stuff going on in like the 470 to 530 range. Uh, we use mm-hmm. PSM 1000 for in-ears in that range. <laughs> so I... yeah. You know, I got there and I was like, oh, my goodness, I ran a RF scan and, and it was bad news. But uh, it's interesting how RF is playing out these days. Oh, yeah. Um, has the, I hate to go on an RF tangent here, but it's it's something that I think a lot of people are interested in and don't really know a ton about or, you know, it can be daunting. Yeah. Have you noticed any differences with the RF landscape since the repack of the 600 megahertz frequency range? You know, like uh, they've recalled all those. Fre- has it made your life more difficult, or have you not really seen a difference there?
1: I don't know if I can really speak to that because I don't know if I've been doing this long enough to be able to to really see the the biggest difference in that. Um, we, I don't even know if any of our equipment really is in a lot of that range, to be honest, where, where I'm at, they, they're pretty good at keeping everything up to date, but
0: oh, that's awesome.
1: yeah, I, I, I don't know if I could really speak to that. Cause I, I don't think I've, I've had enough experience necessarily with things previously, sure. um, but I know that it is affecting a lot of people. I know, I know there's tons of people who are having to get rid of their gear because they can't use it anymore or they're worried about getting a fine or whatever because of that, which, which sucks because, wireless is not cheap especially a lot of the pro stuff and then just having to having it be a paperweight at that point is awful so
0: yeah i have heard um people listening out there don't take me at this word because i'm going off of really old fuzzy memory but uh that a lot of the frequencies that we cannot use here are still valuable overseas uh mm. so there is a market for some of that equipment um overseas in certain instances but uh yeah it's definitely I've always wondered, you know, like an international worldwide tour, they've got to, you know, have different rigs for different continents, I'm sure. And it's, it's probably pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'll cut that out of there. So give us two (laughs) seconds and then we'll, we'll get going here again. Um, actually, before we go, is there is there anything that before we resume, I should say, is there anything that you would really like to talk about or an experience that you would like to to share?
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think so. Not really. It'll probably come up because I don't. I have a pretty limited career, I think, so far. So
0: sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I. Um, all right. So I've got a couple of more things that I want to, uh, ask you about. So, um, we'll give it a couple seconds here. Okay. All right. So, um, you mentioned D and B equipment is Schubert, uh, primarily a D and B shop or what do you guys, uh, manage in terms of your line arrays and speaker systems?
1: We are definitely primarily a D and B house. Uh, we have like a couple L acoustics arcs and, of course some little QSC speakers we send out on little tiny rentals that we have but yeah primarily D&B um the J series the V series we we've got some Qs which are great those are i think everybody's favorite sorry, um but Could you say it again, Sorry, my Siri decided to go <laughs> off for no reason. She's
0: eavesdropping. Um,
1: yeah, but def- definitely D&B. Um, we've got a few of their their systems, but uh, yeah.
0: Are those primarily front of house rigs, or do you have uh, side fills, monitor rigs, and things like that as well? Or do you sort of dual purpose them?
1: Uh, we we dual purpose. Um, we send uh, John Fogarty out. He has a J-rig for his side fills. Um, a lot of people take the V's out for side fills as well. And then we also have M- M2s and M4s for uh, monitors um, also. So, yeah, kind kind of both.
0: Yeah, there's nothing like mixing on a on a D and b rig. Uh, they're so smooth and so they just make anything you're doing sound that much better. Uh, I'm a big fan of D&B. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned John Fogarty, uh, and you've mentioned a couple of other acts as well. Do you guys provide... Uh, tour support or equipment for longer running tours like uh say john goes out for a three-month tour is that something you guys will equip him for is it more just local shows he's in the area and specs out you know uh, a rig
1: um yeah so we we send uh it kind of depends on what they need sometimes it's a just a control package sometimes it's pa everything um we do put out some some tours. It's kind of both. We we do a lot of little one-offs or we have people who come back for longer running tours or festivals. Um, so yeah, he's definitely one of the guys he goes out for a few weeks and then comes back and we kind of keep his rig together, mothballed. Um, and it's kind of similar with some of our other clients, especially like, uh, Cypress Hill and stuff. So
0: yeah, that's cool. Well, that's really awesome. Um, before we get going here, uh, I, I, I really enjoy your Instagram feed because it's primarily full of dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> as you we wanna, heard them. Do you want to talk about those little guys for a couple seconds? Uh, who are they? How old are they? Uh, you know, what, what are some of the quirky things they like to do?
1: So I have three small little Chihuahua rescues. Um, they're actually the first dogs that I've ever had in my entire life because I didn't grow up with them. So I became an instant dog lover as soon as I got my first dog. Um Luna is she's the little brown one. She's um 6 years old. She they're all pretty lazy um because they're they're not super high energy really smart dogs. They're just kind of couch potatoes um but there's her and then there's my male dog. His name is Dexter and he's 5 years old. Um he he, kind of has a lot of energy. He likes to run when we bring him outside, and he's usually the one who's instigating a lot of the barking. Um, for some reason, I need to actually record how loud he is because he sounds like he is massive, and he's only 12 pounds. Um, and then there's my old lady senior dog who we don't really know how old she is. Um, the shelter said she was 10 when we got her, which was like uh, a little over three years ago. Um, but she has probably the most energy out of all of them for some reason. She likes to jump up and down off of things. She's almost like a cat in that sense. But
0: <laughs> and she's great. the oldest, which is oh, ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, yeah. Dogs make the world go around. I'm a big fan of uh, dogs, and I think I I readily admit that I like dogs more than people. So, uh, oh, one hundred percent. Good company there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Um, I really am grateful that you gave us a little information about how you got started and what you've been up to and and some of the things that you do, um, you know, at Schubert and at some of the other clubs, what are you doing to stay busy right now? Are you uh, taking advantage of the downtime and, or, you know, are you going stir crazy a little bit of both? What, what are you doing to pass the time right now?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both. <laughs> um, I've been trying to do some more of the webinars that are available. d had a few um, dealing with their uh, array calc and whatnot. I had the opportunity to do some uh, training with them in Long Beach, um, which was actually really great. So I kind of, those are a little bit of a refresher. Um, and then Shore is actually doing a lot of webinars. I think a every thursday they're doing some some rf training which is is really good because it's dealing with like antenna distribution and how to make choices and stuff so i've been trying to uh trying to do some more learning while i can in this downtime and then you know also binge watching binge watching some netflix getting some tiger king in <laughs> i read like a whole book in in one day a couple weeks ago cuz there's just not a lot to do in LA right now while everybody's kind of on lockdown. So a little yeah. bit of both.
0: Yeah. You guys are really on lockdown. Um, you know, when I talk to the band, uh, it's, it's sort of interesting the, the massive difference that there is between Los Angeles and where I'm located here in Madison and Madison, mm-hmm. it's almost like people are sort of like, Oh yeah, there's something going on, but it's nothing major. And yeah. I just sort of shake my head and, you know, stay huddled inside, trying not to get anybody sick or get myself sick so yeah yeah where do you see yourself uh in the next couple of years like what what do you see yourself doing uh in the in the live sound production industry uh if a genie came and granted you a wish uh you know what what would you like to be doing in a couple of years
1: um i would like to do some more touring uh for sure I, it's, it's really hard to say right now, honestly, because everything is so, so uncertain. Um, yeah, I would definitely like to get out with, with a big act or even a small act to just have that experience. Um, for sure. I'd, I'd like to also dabble a little bit more in some corporate stuff, uh, just because that's where a lot of the money seems to be. So it, it definitely wouldn't hurt to be doing a little bit of that um
0: money is for sure
1: but yeah primarily maybe uh trying to get out there and do do some touring
0: cool all right um do you want to share your social media information with anybody otherwise uh you know if people wanted to follow your dogs and and see what you're doing when you're out uh, setting up stages and teching uh anything that you'd like to promote or share with listeners
1: I'm um, sure. Uh, my Instagram is Emily, but it has six E's, two M's and then I L Y. So it's pretty simple to find me on Instagram. That's probably where I'm the most active, at cool. least as far as like, um, posting stuff about sound and my dogs and everything. So yeah.
0: I'll, yeah. uh, I'll put a link to that on the show notes so that people don't have to try to count out the six E's and the two M's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, all right. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to meet with me and record this. Thanks for doing it uh, virtually. Um, hopefully it's everything went smoothly. And uh, yeah, keep us keep us updated on what's going on. I hope you stay healthy and that uh, we all get to get back out and do what we love doing before too long.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So thank you, Emily. We'll be in touch and uh, look forward to seeing what you're doing uh, once things get back to normal. Awesome. Hey, listeners, don't go anywhere quite yet. Uh, Emily and I were talking offline and we started talking about um, her education and going to school for recording and I really felt that uh, what we were talking about would be interesting to everybody out there. So um, we're going to pick back up here with a little bit of bonus content. Emily, you were talking about um, going to school and your primary focus of education was uh, advanced, I'm sorry, after advanced education was in the recording industry. Um, did you have an intention of going into recording originally or did you always know you were going to do live sound? How, how did that end up playing out?
1: So I, I kind of went into my education knowing that um I was gonna be doing uh live sound versus recording, but to me the recording a lot of the recording principles and things that I learned uh translate to live sound. It's just you're doing it a lot faster than being able to sit and work with a track for, for however long. Um Yeah. It just kind of, it it translates. So I I knew that I was going to get still a good education and a good knowledge and foundation of some of the principles from a recording school.
0: Cool. And um, did you find that the analog world helped you to better understand the digital world or how did, I know you mentioned that a lot of the recording gear that you were working with was analog. Can you just take us through some of the equipment that you were working with and, um, you know, what you, what you saw as a benefit of learning on that platform?
1: Yeah, so um, we had the ability at the school that I went to to work on some bigger analog desks um, like the SSL 9K, uh, API 1608, and some Neve consoles and some, some smaller ones. Um, that equipment was really good to learn on because you can understand how to use a patch bay, how that works, um, and where analog came from to be able to understand digital a lot better because a lot of people start off on digital and don't understand what an insert actually is or any of that kind of stuff, especially people kind of my age who didn't really get a ton of time on using analog consoles at all. So that was definitely helpful
0: for Got sure. It. That's awesome. Um, and as Schubert, do you guys have any analog gear these days or are you fully converted to digital or or what's uh, what's the situation there?
1: Yeah, we still put out some uh, Midas, uh, the Heritage three thousands. Those guys go out with the, uh, or the offspring goes out with some of those guys. Um, they kind of have their own own console, and uh, we'll send them out on some some other rentals occasionally. It's usually a guy who wants a, a Heritage and he wants his whole analog rack of of gear, which is kind of fun to play with and rig together.
0: Yeah, you get to practice some of that patching and inserting that you were talking about oh, a yeah. minute ago. Yeah, I think that makes
1: you appreciate the power of, of digital a little bit too, because that stuff literally weighs a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, we. I think you take it for granted, in your point about you know understanding how um, the digital works, you know, by having the the historical uh, experience with the analog is really outstanding. Um I don't know if you've worked on the Midas Pro systems at all but uh the act of like patching your ins and outs and your effects and things like that seems to throw a lot of people for a loop uh yeah. but if you're familiar with analog principles then you know it's not so daunting
1: Yeah yeah we've we've got a um the Pro 2s we still have I think we had a Pro 9 but it it went away um for sure but yeah those those tests are are similar to that too for sure
0: Oh, that's cool. Um, jumping back to the offspring real quick, just because, uh, I've liked them for a long time. Are they using the 3000s at monitors in front of house or just front of house or?
1: Um, I think they, I don't remember if it was monitors or front of house. I know they take one out at least. I'm pretty sure it's monitors cause that you have so many mixes available to you. That's why people like them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just mo- the monitor rig that take, takes it out. Um, cool. But there, uh, one gig that I teched for them, uh, I was a stage tech for this small little gig that they did, but their front of house was actually using a gamble that, um, that we still have. We still have that one. I forgot about that too. We have a gamble, um, that I, that barely goes out anymore, but Yeah. yeah, some cool, cool old school stuff for sure.
0: No kidding. Uh, We'll uh, start a museum of um, you know legendary equipment and mm-hmm. put the sign out in front of Schubert for that. So yeah, <laughs> all right, well, I appreciate you uh, sticking around to tell us about that gear and some of your philosophies around that. So let's call it uh, goodbye for real right now. and uh, <laughs> thanks again for hanging out and uh, chatting with everybody.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Thanks a lot. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Shure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes.